lots and lots of spoilers. Tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. All our episodes have lighted fools the way to dusty films. Out, out, brief audit. Podcasts, but a walking shadow, a poor anchor that struts and frets his hour upon the app and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot. Hey, who's calling who an idiot, Will? I am so dead at recess, Shakespeare. Anyway, this is indeed a tale full of sound and fury, signifying another episode of Max Mike Movies. Yay! Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, oh, somebody kind of just throw me. Encore, encore! Oh, I regret that. Free bird! That you'll really regret that. <laughs> We're doing a series of movies that you can see now in your own home or possibly at the same time in a theater, which would be uh, quite a trick now, wouldn't it? It's called Now Streaming in a Room Near You. This week, we're back to Apple TV Plus and their release of Joel Cohen's take on William Shakespeare's adaptation from Holland's Head Chronicles, The Tragedy of Macbeth. We are twin-hosted... Ah! Hot potato orchestra dolls, puck will make amends. Ow! Yes, right. So we are twin-hosted by first that master of strutting and fretting, Thane of Cheese, Max Levine. Give us a speech, Max. I like cheese. Brilliant. <clears throat> I like the way it rhymed. And I, <laughs> and I am but a lowly gravedigger, dogs bodying my way through life, McMike Loose. But before we get to Macbeth... Ah! Hot potato orchestra dolls, puck will make amends. Ow! Oh, give it a rest, Max. I know it's not even it's not even appropriate. You're really only supposed to freak out about saying that name if you're an act. You're in the production. Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah, uh, we have your answers to our poll question to go over. Poll question. Last week we were dying to know when you watch a movie, do you stay through till the end of the credits, and if so, why? Well, I am dying. I am dying. I am dying. <laughs> That's not true. No. <laughs> well, you had answers, and now they're ours. From our website, we got a response from good old Ned, who posted, quote, I watch credits mostly out of habit, but it's good to reflect on the movie and to acknowledge all the hard work that went into it. People spent years making these things, and I want to respect that, end quote. What a nice young man. Oh. Yeah, thank you, Ned. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Also from the site, as the kids say, is The Snowman, who gave us, quote, I would always watch the end credits right to the end until recently. I always wanted to make films and wanted to know who did what. I would sometimes see a film because of some technical person over the director or stars sometimes. I have less patience these days as the credits are so long, I am afraid I will be considered dead or missing by the time they finish and I can get home, end quote. That's, that's a reasonable concern. Yeah, they do seem to go on and on, don't they? Just like us. Yeah. Oh, oh, uh, thanks, <laughs> oh. Vince. Snowman. Regular contributor Dave wrote us via Facebook, quote, It's important to me to get out of the theater and perhaps the parking lot before the crowd <laughs> so I don't watch the credits. As a follow-up, I prefer not to think of a movie as a show with actors, but as a temporary reality, so don't really want to know who the actors are. I don't know if this is because I am bad at remembering and recognizing actors or if I never spent time reading credits so didn't learn, end quote. Seems like you like to go in real, real deep, Dave. So, thanks. Jamie Kleinert was next with, quote, Depends on the show, and in a lot of cases, the soundtrack. I will watch for cast, locations, and soundtrack slash performer information. I love that several recent movies have included the instrumental performance on the credit scroll, end quote. Coolness! Thanks, Jamie. Angelo Patsalis offered, quote, I always found credits to movies very important and also fun facts. Also, in some movies, I wanted to location and soundtrack as well. I'm not sure about the scanning of that sentence. Well, but that's it's okay. Also, the most important part is it gives me time to wait for people to leave the parking lot. That's, <laughs> that's a major issue. <laughs> An that's very sensible. There. Yeah. Thanks, Angelo. 
Still pretending she's not related to me, Val Coons counters with, quote, most of the time I do. Living in movie town, I have a lot of friends in the business, so not only do I like to see if there's anyone on the crew I know, but I just feel it's a sign of respect. It's harder to sit through all of them when it's a huge movie, especially an animated one. There are so many credits. I will never miss the ones for movies like Airplane, even though I've seen them a million times. I always seem to find a joke credit I missed before, end quote. Yeah, it's all yeah, about who you know. Yep. Movie Town, USA. <laughs> Thanks, Val. Yeah, I wonder where that is. Anyway, following right up, we have Nick who said, quote, second on Val's reply, but to be honest, I have been watching the credits all the way through since well before moving here. I think it's more to do with my background in theater. He actually wrote theater. No, he didn't. <laughs> it really is a personal show of respect. Also, I like to remember the names of specific people and the changing roles of the various crafts. So very many people work on these things, and the general audience never knows them. Once in a while, I will meet one of them, and they will introduce themselves, and I generally surprise them when I immediately know where and what I know them from, and they invariably are pleased. It's very worth it. And then occasionally, you get special credits like in Kevin Smith's movies. They're classic. End quote. Thanks, Nick. As if it was an actual conversation, Javi Carl responded directly to Nick. Quote, I'm with Nick. It's a show of respect for the incredible hard work that goes into making even a poor movie. A few more minutes of my time is a small price to pay. Besides, it's like the movie version of a curtain call. I can actually only think of two films in my adult life for which I didn't watch the credits, and that's only because they were so truly terrible, end quote. <laughs> I asked him what those movies were, but so far, no reply. <laughs> we need to know. Yes. Thanks, Javi. Next up, Pete Kreitschitz's answer. Quote, only Marvel movies due to the mid-credit and end-credit scenes, exclamation point, end quote. Well, there you go. Very, very definitive. Thanks, Sticky. Yep. Kelly Cooper gave us, quote, My best friend and I both like to slowly surface from the reality of the movie and gradually transition back into this reality. Sitting through the credits is a pleasant way to do that. We also call out interesting names, look up bits of trivia inspired by random details in the credits on our phones, appreciate the songs that didn't quite work in the body of the movie, but the soundtrack people liked enough to use over the credits, and enjoy waiting until the crowds have gone before making our way out of the theater in a leisurely fashion. I don't think it's a conscious plan to counteract the be constantly busy way things are these days, but it's a nice antidote to that, end quote. Seems nice. like Yeah. Seems like a uh, few people are not only conscientious, but... Um, they don't like crowded parking lots. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Matt Reisman reacted with, quote, I don't like to stay and particularly resent end of credit scenes. My favorite thing about streaming is that I can just skip to them. I'm not saying that having everyone who worked on the movie listed isn't important or valuable, but I don't need to spend my time watching a list of names, especially not in digital age when I could look up who did what in seconds, end quote. Counterpoint. Thanks, Matt. Lastly, we have Brian Mundo, who addresses the Marvel monster in the room. <laughs> Quote, Marvel has ruined me, and now I'm paranoid I'm going to miss something. So I either sit through to the end of the credits or Google if there is anything after, end quote. Yeah. Well stated. And, and Very planned. good point. Thanks, yep. Brian. Max, how about you? Do you sit through the credits? I already know the answer to this. Or do you skip out or a combo of both? Well, honestly, in, the old, in my older days, younger days, whatever, previous days... <laughs> I tried to stay all the way through the end. And again, it's like a couple of our listeners said, it was out of respect. It's like, you guys did a lot of work. I want to at least watch your random names scroll by on a screen that I will forget in three seconds. Then, yeah, you have the Marvel movies where, you know, there's going to be a mid-credits or an end-credits. But I think it was when The Matrix, where the credits go on for 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes. And I was just like, you know what? Enough already. I'm sorry, best boy. I don't need to know who you are. I don't need to know the catering company. I don't need to know the names of the children who were born during <laughs> the filming. You notice how they only ever credit the best boy, not just boy? Yeah, or the boy who tried. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also I wonder, what... especially with that example, if it wasn't a case of, well... We wanted to replay the haunting love theme from Matrix, <laughs> so, you know. I, I want to stay for the credits. I still think it's a good sign of respect. It's just too much these days. They're so damn long. Yeah. What about you? It depends who I'm with. If the person wants to 
sit and watch the credits. Okay. If it's a Marvel movie, yes, we'll sit. Actually, we actually have gotten to the point where we will look ahead of time. Yeah. The ads, which I hate. Um, that was my best Kirk uh, Douglas impersonation. I hate the ads. <laughs> um, so we know whether we can do it or not. Spartacus. <laughs> um, on my own, no, I won't stay and watch the the credits. I'm sorry, I don't. Mostly because, especially with CG, there's literally like three different companies of which are what a thousand employees. I don't. I'll never remember these people's name. If I have to sit through them, I honestly start looking for funny names and go, "Oh, that's a funny name." <laughs> um, the the baby's born during the thing is kind of nice. That's cute. Um, I if I'm if I want to know where they shot a film. Like, where is that? Or if there is a song I am particularly interested in, they always put those things last. So I have That's to the thing. I like seeing the song credits. Like, oh, I thought I knew that song. Is that? No, I did not know that song, but okay. Yeah. So it, it depends. It depends. I'd rather not, but sometimes you kind of have to. Well, thanks for all the keen answers. We always mm. appreciate your adding to our little show, and we love yes, to show our do. gratitude by offering up Bumpy Bucks, the cryptocurrency that certainly has a use somewhere. Enjoy some on us, and don't forget to look out for the Bumpy Hut catalog, which might exist someday. This week, we would like to ask, has Hollywood finally erased the stigma of TV? Meaning, do we look down on something simply because it was made to be seen on TV instead of theater, and do movies still hold it all above TV shows? Or does it matter anymore? Let us know, and we will add another 20 bucks to your pile. But now, back to Macbeth on most of these same stations. The show. Budget. No idea. Take. Like some of the films in this series, it had a limited run in theaters, possibly to add weight to it. So far, it brought in 472000 but was likely given a good deal more to be on Apple TV+. The Scottish play, as Max was just talking about. There's oh, a lot long- <laughs> There's a long history of people in the theater thinking this play is cursed and as such won't refer to it by name, instead calling it the Scottish play, McBee, and so forth. Supposedly, either Shakespeare himself or the play's revisioners used real magical spells in the writing of the play. Don't, I, that, that apparently Wait a true. minute. Don't dispute me. Which angered real witches, I kid you not, <laughs> who then cursed the play so that any production of it would fail. While there are many reports over the years of cast members having accidents or even death, Hamlet apparently holds the record for most tragedies. Note the air quotes there. There are numerous ways that one can break the spell of the name being mentioned while in the theater itself. So, as Max pointed out, you can be <coughs> sitting, say, in uh, Max Mike Movie's uh, studio here and not worry about saying it. So there are numerous ways that one can break the spell of the name being mentioned while in the theater itself. Uh, as I said, you don't have to be in the theater and do this. If you're in the theater, you're supposed to do these things. But it's not limited to spinning around in place three times, spitting over one's left shoulder and cursing. Uh, there's lots of other things like what Max was Oh, doing. yeah. And so we got from Blackadder, you know, hot potato, crocus, orchestra shawls, puck will make amends, grab each other's noses, twist. Yeah, it gets weirder and weirder. Pat- Patrick Stewart, on the other hand, suggests, quote, if you have played the role of the Scottish Thane, then you are allowed to say the title anytime, anywhere, end quote. Note that huh. he didn't say Macbeth. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, Macbeth, uh, um... oh no! All right. There is a scene where Hecate, the Greek goddess of magic and spells, scolds the three weird sisters for helping out Macbeth. It's missing from this production, but it's also thought that this scene was added later and not by Shakespeare. Huh. I don't know if you were looking for that or not. No, no, I knew that one. There is not one outdoor scene in this film, except the last. (laughs) All of it was done on a soundstage. This is the first time we see the Coen brothers apart. All the other films were co-directed by both. Supposedly, Ethan doesn't want to make movies anymore, even though there's a pile of undeveloped scripts just waiting in the wings. I hear Joel was sitting there crying, going, We ain't never been separated before. And uh, where did you read this? That might have been Bob and Doug McKenzie. Ah, (laughs) Well, they're so easy to mistake. (laughs) So like each other, are are they? This is Denzel Washington's second film production of a Shakespeare play. No, it isn't. He was also in Kenneth Branagh. We're not talking about that one. (laughs) He was also in Kenneth Branagh's version of What to Do About Nothing. No, he was 
I'm surprised you're upset that upset about that because it's Keanu Reeves who stands out for that one. But I know it was just so unfortunate because I, I liked Denzel so much, but then he did that, and it's like, ow, yeah. dude, wow, this movie's actually hurting me. Hey, at least you could understand what he was saying, unlike Michael. That Keaton. is true. <clears throat> that is, that is true. Yeah, they don't give and, a, and they don't give a lot of you, Oscars for Shakespeare. The last nomination for acting was given to do you know? Uh, was it Kenneth Branagh? It was. Do you know which film it was for? Oh, uh, boy. I'm going to go with Henry V. You would be correct. Think, yeah, I know they made a big deal out of his doing Hamlet, but that was just such a pain. Yeah. Roderick Janes is the usual editor of the Coen Brothers films, though it's a pseudonym that they use for themselves. This time around, it was actually oh. Reginald Janes who edited, which is just Joel Cohen in disguise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's Joel Cohen in a large hat. <laughs> We have two Harry Potter alums here. We have Brendan Gleeson, who is Aura Moody, and Catherine Hunter, who is Arabella Fig in Order of the Phoenix. Hers was the last part in any Harry Potter movie to be played by an American. Uh, you are mistaken, sir. Is there a third? There is a third. Oh, who's the third? Young Malcolm, Prince of Cumberland, who we may know better as Dudley Dursley. Huh? Really? Yeah, that's Dudley. Did he lose a whole Dudley? He lost quite a bit of Dudley. Oh, my God. That, that is him. Cripes. Okay. Yeah. If you look at the face, at that, he, he has still that unfortunate, slightly doughy look to him. And he has the uh, the eyes are a little too close together. It's him. Wait, was Malcolm the one but, that, that's, that's going to be the, the new king? He's the, yeah. Oh, he's the one who's crowned cripes. at the end. Dang, I yeah. missed that. Wow. Whew. <laughs> that's what happens when you lose a Dursley. All right. <laughs> um, the movie was nominated for three Oscars. Denzel Washington for Best Actor, we'll get back to that, and one each for Best Production Design and Cinematography, we'll get back to those too. But there should have been a nomination for Maharshala Ali, I'm just saying, because he didn't get nominated. I don't care yes. if he wasn't in this film, he should have gotten... Doesn't matter, he should have still gotten nominated for, for Macbeth. Yeah, there's two people that are up for Best Actor, and in both that I know of, I know there's more than that, but there's two people in particular, and I'm like, huh? Anyway... Well, we'll get to that, because it might involve one of the people I just said. Ah, okay. <laughs> there is so much trivia on Shakespeare and Macbeth in particular. I think oh, we'd better stop there, uh, besides yeah. Max's twirling, spitting, and cursing is, is getting on my nerves. <laughs> Unless you have anything else to uh, add, Max, about Shakespeare or uh, Macbeth. So dizzy. Um, I w I'd like to point out also that uh, the woman who played the witches also plays the old man. Right. That's Catherine Hunter. Yeah, And we Catherine will be getting Hunter. back to her. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't even know she was American. Uh, there, there, there's a there's a lot to talk about. Also, just briefly, there was a King Macbeth around the 11th century in Scotland. He bears virtually no resemblance at all to the Macbeth in Shakespeare's play. The quick research I saw seemed to suggest that it had more to do with James the First than it did with actual Macbeth. It, yeah, a little bit more with Scottish Jimmy than with uh, Macbeth. It's just Macbeth. Let's face it, has a much cooler name. Yeah. Uh, well, in that thing in my opening where I talked about the Holland's Head Chronicles, that's true. Apparently, this is where he got the general yeah. idea and then basically crossed most of it out and wrote his own play. <laughs> that's how he did with a lot of it. Same with King Lear, same with a bunch of stuff. Yeah, good with him. It's like, hmm, I like the names here. I'll use them and make up my own story. <laughs> ah, yes, Macbeth in Once in Great Verona Lived. Wait, Verona? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so then we'll do Romeo and Ethel, a pirate's daughter. <laughs> so, I'll go on to the plot. Yes. No, boy. I get to summarize a Shakespeare play. I am going to get so <laughs> roasted for this. Especially since this is the first time I've ever seen it. Basically, there's been a war, and two generals, Macbeth and Banquo, have returned triumphant against the Norwegians. Yeah, sure. A local vassal, the Thane of Cawdor, was in league with the invaders, and as such, his title is added to Macbeth's as a reward. But Macbeth has been visited by three witches. They prophesize this gift before it's received, and also that someday he will be king. Banquo himself will not be king, but will sire a long line of those who will be. With this weight settled on his shoulders, Macbeth starts to consider his options and worry over his future. Writing his wife about the prophecy, and to tell her that the king will be visiting the following night, he sets in motion her ambitions. Between the two of them, they plot the death of the king, murder him, and blame it on the servants. The king's son, who has been named successor, and his brother flee, adding a layer of perceived guilt, which, for the moment, removes it from Macbeth, who takes the throne. 
Soon, their consciences getting to them in different ways, Macbeth and his lady take things further, with Macbeth ordering the death of his friend Banquo and his son, misunderstanding that the son, Fleance, will take over Macbeth's throne, and then ordering the death of fellow, fellow General Macduff and his entire family. Macduff's family is slaughtered, but Macduff himself escapes. As King Duncan's sons and Macduff start to amass an army with England's help, Macbeth visits the three witches again for reinsurance. Lady Macbeth, confronted with the enormity of what she's done, goes mad and then dies. But it seems Macbeth has misinterpreted the prophecy and soon finds himself on the wrong end of vengeance. His head is taken, the throne is given back to Duncan's clan, and blood soaks all that Macbeth has touched. The end. A low down. Yeah, that sums it up pretty well. I gotta say, I'm I mean, actually kind of could... proud of that because I did it without even looking. That's impressive. Uh, and again, I hadn't seen this before. So, Max, you've seen, I'm sure, many versions of Macbeth. Not a lot. I think I, I've never seen any of the filmed versions. There are only a couple one that I know of, one of which, by the way, is uh, from, I think, 1971 by Roman Polanski. Ah. Yeah, which I'm not in any hurry to see. Yeah. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen two stage productions of it, and I read the play before. I read it again this week. Oh, wow. Just to... Mm. It's not that hard to read. I'd also forgotten. It's a com- compared to a lot of the other tragedies. It's fairly short. Apparently, it's the shortest tragedy. Uh, yeah, I believe it. And well, your summary was was very good. The summary of Macbeth is pretty simple. Ah, kill, die. <laughs> I want to be king. I want to be king. I'm king. <laughs> I'm dead. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's as they say in a tragedy. In Shakespeare, every Shakespeare comedy ends in a wedding. Every Shakespeare tragedy ends with everybody friggin' dead. Well, not everybody in this case. Just no, but there's a lot of there's a lot of deaths. Although this isn't even close to the highest body count. No, or the nastiest. You know, I'm looking at you, Titus Andronicus. <laughs> well, so when we both, I know we both thought about this when we saw the film, and we we're like, okay, we're gonna have to strap. Wait, an hour and forty five minutes? That's all. Yeah, that was that was my first thought. It's like I. Don't, I've never seen a Shakespeare play. I think even Romeo and Juliet, which is also very short, is longer. Uh, every version I've seen is longer than that. Yeah, and there were uh, there's one particular credit. Admittedly, only comes at the end of the film. That um, sort of um, yeah. When you see things that say things like "based on the play by William Shakespeare," <laughs> as long as it doesn't say things like "with additional dialogue additional by dialogue. Sam Crudish." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but when you say based on, that's when you sometimes worry because Shakespeare yeah. can be taken in a lot and has been taken in a lot of different directions. Oh, people go out of their way to reinterpret it in, you know, but I mean, but sometimes it works. You get, a, there was that whole thing of teen comedies in like the 90s, I think, or the early 2000s, where they were doing things like basing them on uh, uh, the taming of the shrew or Two Gentlemen of Verona or. You know, odd stuff like that. Yeah. I think my favorite weird warped adaptation of a Shakespeare play, if you squint real hard, maybe you can see it, is Forbidden Planet. I have still have not oh. seen The Tempest, but apparently it's more or less The Tempest. Uh, sort of, it's, yeah. I think it's more less than more, but wait. Does yeah. that, let's uh, diagram that sentence. Shall no, 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 I, I think it's less that. more than less. No. <laughs> but now, by and more less, or less. And uh, less Nesman. <laughs> so, I didn't... I would. I must admit that seeing that, not knowing the play and seeing the hour and forty-five minutes, I was kind of thinking, "Oh dear, what are they going to do?" And a number of the comments I've read from reviewers talk about how it is a lean version of the play, and it's yeah, it's very, it's very trimmed down. It is and it isn't. Like they don't really leave much out, but visually, so it's shot in black and white. And I got to say, it's gorgeous. It's really pretty to look at. Um, it is very stark. Um, the costuming, the sets, everything is very simple. Um, and it's also obviously very designed. Like it's not, nobody's trying for historical accuracy here. Um, some of the things I'd read included that they painted some of the shadows because they wanted them to look weird. So some Mm. of those really long shadows Mm -hmm. and stuff. There's a lot they do with light and dark in this with a lot of light and shadow. They do. And it's beautiful to look at. It is 
there's some great symbology. I don't know if it's been done before. Probably. Again, I've never seen it. I loved the idea of equating the Weird Sisters with crows. And the woman who plays her, plays them, I should say, because she does all three, Catherine Hunter. Oh, my God. She, of course, first thing I thought was, Trixie Hobbits. But... <laughs> Yeah, 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 I kept waiting for her to start going, Gollum, Gollum. But I, at first, I thought, did they hire a contortionist? She's not known for being a contortionist, but her movements are so interesting and, well, weird. Yeah. She captured me right from the start. Um, I really liked her, and she comes back as, you know, the weird sisters, but also she plays this old man. I'm not quite sure the reasoning behind that, but... That's a very, uh, that was an interesting choice because that isn't in the uh, play. I mean, it doesn't, some people may interpret it that way, but the old man's character is simply old man. Yeah. He's just, just this old guy who comes out, makes some creepy pronouncements, and that's it. Yeah. I, so I can't tell if they were trying to suggest that maybe he was also a manifestation of a prophecy or a prophesizer. I don't know. But I thought she was great. I really liked her. She was so interesting to look at. Um, shall we get to the uh, acting? We usually do that sure. fairly soon. So let's sure. talk about Lady Macbeth. Yeah, Frances McDormand. So, okay, in case you don't know, those of you out there, she does just happen to be married to the director. <laughs> what a coinky-dink. Yeah. Um, this is not her first turn as Lady Macbeth, though. She actually played the role on stage in 2016, so she'd done it before. Oh. Um, I think it shows I actually rather liked her as Lady Macbeth. I think she does a good job. I, I don't think she's done it. She did a great job because it's a little... Lady Macbeth is a really challenging part, and she's also a really cool part. Right. Uh, and she has a couple of major speeches. I mean, the whole unsex me now speech is... We'll get to that. There are certain speeches in Shakespeare nobody wants to do because everybody knows them. And so that, that's one of them? That's one of them. The unsex me now, harden, basically harden my heart, make me, you know, make me no longer a woman, basically. Make me, a, you know, a strong, fill me from crown to toe with uh, purpose. She does okay at that, but again, that's a really hard speech to do. There are some that a lot of the actors, that actors will just rush their way through because there are times on stage where people like, who was it? Um, I think it was... Edmund Keane used to complain when he would do Hamlet's To Be or Not To Be, the audience would start reciting it with him. Oh. And if he paused in places they didn't like, they would just rush over him. And it drove him nuts. Well, I don't blame him. If you're wanting to see a play, yeah. shut up and let them do it. Keep it doesn't matter that you shut, know yeah. it. This isn't Rocky Horror. <laughs> they keep, people keep doing that. They've, uh, I think Ian McKellen complained about that once. Yeah. They didn't, but... Uh, and Macbeth has several of them. The, is this a dagger I see before me speech and the life's a poor player speech. We'll, we'll get to that. I, I think she does a good job. I don't know if she really nails it. Lady Macbeth is a difficult character. Yeah. Because she starts off very, no, you know, just you, you'd be, he, my husband would could be anything if he just had basically more spine. Yeah. He doesn't have enough ambition. I will be his ambition. I'm going to... And she's, in this version, she's like, eh, maybe we took this too far too quickly. But she loses her resolve a lot faster than I've seen in other versions. And I, you know, we don't know if that was her choice or if it was her husband's choice. I'm sorry, the yeah, director's no choice. Yeah. Um, here's the thing that I will say. She's an American actor, and more often than not, correct me if I'm wrong, but more often than, I'm not, than, than not, American actors don't get Shakespeare. And the I don't know if that's true. Uh, it's more a part of the, the English actors. It's more ingrained in their culture. It's more the stuff they've grown up with. Well, they also tend to I've study seen, it. Whereas the American actors, yeah. well, how should we say this? Don't. <laughs> well, sometimes that didn't used to be the case. It was every actor used to study Shakespeare. I know that's that's changed a lot these days, but. I don't know. Uh, I, it just always sounds better with the accent. Well, and here's the thing. The reason that I think she gets it is I understood her. I knew what she was saying. I got what she was trying to get across without having to, to, to fake it. Um, yeah, which meant she understood it. You right. knew that she got the lines. She got the meaning and the subtext. You can tell that with a Shakespearean actor when they're just mouthing it and they don't really know what it means or when, like her, 
Yeah, they get it. They know the character. They know the part. And we have some lesser parts. We have Banquo, who I thought was fine. I don't know Bertie Carvel, but I thought he did fine as Banquo, although yeah. his eyebrows are almost their own character. <laughs> almost. <laughs> um, Brendan Gleeson as King Duncan. Man, was I waiting for him to go nuts, and he's very restrained. Yeah. Um, very, very calm performance. Much more likable than he usually is. Yeah. Um, McDuff, Corey Hawkins, I think did fine. I was surprised. It's like, I think he's an American. I don't actually know him, but I I got him too. I totally got him. Uh, Harry Melling, who plays Malcolm, I would never have picked out of a lineup, but whatever. Most of the other, Catherine Hunter, I loved, and the rest of the parts were fine. Oh, right. You're leaving somebody out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So what did you think of Denzel? Well, he is a lot better than he was in Much Ado. Okay. I think he did a decent job. I don't think he's a Shakespearean. I just don't. But I thought he did a really good job, and he did a really nice, understated job with a couple of those big speeches, which is where a lot of actors lose it completely. Any speech in particular? Yeah, the uh, life's a poor player that struts and frets its hour upon the stage, which is which he's supposed to be giving right after he's found out that Lady Macbeth is dead. And I thought I thought he did a nice job there. I thought that was very restrained, which and it's very easy. To go way over the top with that one. Are you commenting about my opening of the show? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> you say restrained. I said uninspired. Um, huh. I love that speech. I don't know how I know that speech without having ever seen the play, but I know it. Just Everybody like it. quotes it. It's in everything. I, actually I mean, good lord, a, Dagger of the Mind is a title of a Star Trek episode. Well, there's three Star Trek episode titles in this play alone. <laughs> but... I like that speech. I used it in a comic once, and I was like, all right, I'm guessing this is one of those speeches, having listened to what you said earlier, I'm guess this is one of those speeches. And yeah, I went and watched a bunch of them, just that speech, because you can do that, luckily. Yeah. Um, they have an Ian McKellen, who's apparently one of the best-known people for doing it. They had an Orson Welles. They had a John Gielgud. They had a Patrick Stewart. The Patrick Stewart one was a little odd, only because it's a recent production. I didn't know this. It's like from 2008, 2009. And uh, Macbeth apparently takes place, I'm guessing, sometime in the 80s, because there's machine guns and stuff. Yeah, whatever. all right. Of all the ones I watched, the one I liked the best was Patrick Stewart's. Hmm. And then I I watched a little interview with him, and he talked about having to do it as a play way back. And he ran into um, Ian McKellen on the street, who was eating a sticky bun, as he said. And... um, (laughs) Apparently, he saw him, he wanted to ask him, he's like, look, I've never done Macbeth before. And apparently, McCallan said something like, I'm in the deep. And he was like, oh, sorry. And was like, but then they, they laughed, and it's like, okay, what, what do you suggest? And he's like, that speech, the most important word is and. And apparently that lit something in Patrick Stewart's head, and he's like, I totally got it. And so my performance of Macbeth is based on that help I got from Ian McKellen. And I would never have thought the and in tomorrow and tomorrow, but apparently that made a big deal. I watched that speech over and over. The worst one, or at least the moistest version (laughs) I saw, yeah, was Kenneth Branagh's. Um, uh, yeah, he is leaning over. He is crying, full out crying, and I believe he's crying. Like, I, there's no faking. I'm sure he is. And there's stuff coming out of his mouth, and it's like, uh, it's yeah, it is. He's really pouring. That's e- an interesting choice. Yeah, everything he's got into it, and to me, it's a very important speech. And in general, I'm not a fan of Denzel Washington for two reasons. One, huh. I think he's dull. Right out of the gate. I never thought that. My first note was out of the gate, Denzel's dull. Second, didn't understand what he was saying. Like, I had a lot of trouble following what Macbeth was saying. Didn't didn't see that. Yeah, and I don't know which of ours might be a more valid viewpoint, only because I've never seen the play, so therefore I don't have a preconceived notion as to what's supposed to be going on, and everybody else I understood except him. And you have seen the play many times, so you can actually see some of the nuances of performance and choices that an actor might make that I'm not seeing. But I don't think he deserves a Best Oscar nomination. I'll say that right off. Um, Denzel's a good yeah. actor. He really is. And But just like any actor, not every part's right for every actor. Yeah, I, I think he did a creditable job, but I don't think it was spectacular. I, did, I didn't have trouble understanding him. I like the understated, but some of it... Macbeth going mad 
just happens. It's not gradual, and I've seen performances where it's much more. It's much more developed. Yeah, you you see it happening, and again, he doesn't have a lot of time to do it. No, but but it comes across more believably. The odd parts also. One of the evident the things that's evidence of him going mad is he sees Banquo's ghost. Right. In the script, it is Banquo's ghost. It's not a hallucination. No. It's a ghost. You got to rem- people forget this in the Shakespeare plays. When ghosts show up, it's not a metaphor. It's not an illusion. It's not a sign of madness. It's a dead person. It's an actual <laughs> ghost because the audience at that point, most of them still believed in ghosts. Right. That this went on, by the way, through the Victorian era, when you have characters who use ghosts, it's like, oh yeah, there's a ghost. Sure, of course there is. Well, and who was one of the big proponents, biggest proponents of spiritualism, but Arthur Conan Doyle? Sure. So. It's a, it's a There it's more of about uh, his guilt driving him mad, as opposed to his madness calling up the ghost. There are more ghosts in the uh, actual play. There's a line of eight kings that walk by that only Macbeth can see. It's, it's not unusual for ghosts to show up. I actually really liked the use of the crow again as the ghost, tying it back mm. to the supernatural and the, the, the weird sisters. I, I also just really like crows. <laughs> I count them, you know. Uh, <laughs> really? Along with Mr. Jones? Yeah, well, round here, anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the th- I, I was worried, too, because I thought, oh, this might be one of those editing choices that Banquo is supposed to have a speech of some sort, but apparently he doesn't. He literally just shows up, I oh. guess. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. He, oh, no, he doesn't speak. The ghost does not speak. He just is there. Um, uh, I just want to get back a little bit to Denzel. Yeah. I like his physicality in this. I like when he's... In the script, you can do anything you want with the fight scenes, right. you know, between him and Seward, or young Seward, and him and Macduff, because in the script it says, they fight. <laughs> That's it. It's two words. Well, Or they fight and exit. For example, Macbeth does not die on stage in the play. Yeah. It's just Macduff comes in walking, walking in with, with Macbeth's head. Right. So you kind of figure out which way the fight went, but... It, a lot of people do that. They do the fight on on stage. Right. Well, then that way they to get you. to add um, stage fighting to their to their uh, credits, right? Yep, yep. There's a couple of instances of violence. That one actually wasn't even an instance of violence that really, not, I wouldn't say shocked me, but impressed me. One of them was when they capture Fleance, who's in the field lying down, and I think his name is Ross, is actually yeah, looking for Ross. him. And Poor Fleance, we're guessing he's probably like 11 or 12. Um, he's Shakespearean youth. That's how old he is. Yeah. Um, and he's run off into a wheat field and lied down because he's like, I can't run away from this guy. He's way bigger and faster than me. So, but he has, a, has some time. He lays down. And we see Ross go out looking for him. And he finally comes across him. And there's really, I don't know the play, so I'm assuming he dies. Like, there's no reason for me to assume that he doesn't. Although, they had a weird scene. I don't know if this is in the play at all, but there's a scene after the coronation where they show Fleon still alive. Yeah, Ross goes, obviously, in the movie, it looks like he's paid off the old man to take care of Fleon and then is maybe bringing him back to the court to make sure the prophecy, except that they turn into a bunch of crows. Yeah. No, in the play, Fleon disappears. Okay. However... And this depends on, you got to remember, there were multiple editions of these folios. Right. The one I just reread, Leonce shows up at the end. He has one line. He's not even mentioned in the enter so-and-so with so-and-so. He just says, basically, look, over there. <laughs> so, I mean, it could be a, worse. He could come in and go, yonder lies the palace of my the father, the caliph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does not Tony Curtis it. But, uh, Bernie yeah, Schwartz. <laughs> It, a lot. There is a lot of different interpretations of that. Some people have you know, because Fleance, in a way, has to stay alive if the rest of the prophecy is to come right. true, because he's the only. Apparently, we don't know this. We think he's the only son of Banquo. Right. But apparently, so yeah, it's up to the director. Directors make a lot of weird choices. I mean, some of the. I'd like to talk about some of the things they did change. Well, and you will know them because I don't. So please go through some of the changes. Most of the I gotta say uh, to keep to keep the movie tight, they don't cut much of the plot. 
the story is almost entirely intact. Of course, the story is the simplest part. There's a fair amount of dialogue that gets cut, especially when um, some dialogue between Malcolm and his brother... Uh, oh, what was his name? Not Donald Bain. Yes, Donald Bain. Okay. Yeah, when they're in England. There's a whole segment where they're talking about the English king. And they leave that out. And I get it, because it's very it's kind of clear that was a nod to the English audience. It's uh. like... Wow, we Scots, we sure like this English king. He has magic powers and stuff, and we like him. <laughs> what a cool dude he is! And these guys who we are asking for help, uh, Stuart and 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 this other guy, are so cool. We sure like them. Please don't uh, shut sports. down the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little nod to his patron because let's face it, this does this play does not paint the Scots in a terribly good light. No, as written by an Englishman just saying. Also, I'm yes, just noticing not... that Donald Bain was played by, and I'm not making this up, an actor named Matt Helm. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> yep. Soon to be played That's by, right. uh, you oh, know, Dean Dino. Martin. Uh, hey, oh. <laughs> oh, that guy, yeah, yeah. that cat, that, that Macbeth cat, he's not groovy, no. Yeah, Matt oh, Helm, for those drink. who don't know, is a, a long line of men's adventure books, which probably involves a lot of booze and a lot of naked women, and they haven't written any, I hope, in decades. And, and several were made into movies starring Dean Martin yeah. as Matt Helm. Yeah, anyway. So uh, oh, they, and, they cut out and a Sharon bit. Tate. She was in one. Oh dear, now yeah. it's too late to. Well, never mind. Um, it so they cut out a big scene where they're talking about how wonderful they the British. They cut King out is. that. They cut out a fair amount with the weird sisters too. Oh. Yeah, well, they cut out. There is a sequence you mentioned it, where Hecate or Hecate, right. as he says, or Hecate, or I don't know how are you want to pronounce her. Hecate, yeah, yeah, Hecate. <laughs> she actually shows up. And is berating, like you say, she berates them. It's like, what? You, you're messing with Macbeth and you didn't invite moi? Yeah. And then she shows up later and it's like, hey, nice job with Macbeth. I was like, what? There is also a song and dance number. <laughs> really? Well, in the stage directions, there is, it says, a song the witches sing. They used to, you know, it was basically... For, you know, for the common folk, you know, it's like we got to get some singing and some dancing in here. I asked to Most be people don't... or not to be, that <laughs> is the question that I ask of me. That's only the productions directed by Harold Hecuba. <laughs> but they, it's funny, they also do kind of chop up one of the most famous of their scenes, the double-double toil and trouble. They cut a lot of that, so well, I don't know what you call it, rhyme song incantation, and I noticed they cut the one part most people know, which is eye of newt and tongue of frog, wool of bat, and so forth. Huh. That they don't leave in. Huh. I, I noticed they do leave in the liver of a blasphemous Jew. Thank you very much. <laughs> which is weird, because, of course, Joel Cohen yeah. happens to be Jewish. Well, yeah, but it is in the script. Uh. And it's, it, it's, all, it's a whole lot of, like, what is it, the lips of a tartar and uh, the... Tongue of a Turk, I think it is. A nose of a Turk. It's a lot of foreign people. The bump of a pony. <laughs> yeah. If, yep, yep. Um, I, I think that was interesting, although I, I kind of understand it, because honestly, it's kind of a long segment, and I, I, I liked his choice, because the less the witches are on screen, the sort of more mysterious, and the less... Well, let's just say it. Goofy they can get, because yeah. it's really easy to make them silly, especially yeah. to a modern audience. I'm going th to agree with you. I, I like the brevity of the witches. I love it when she's on screen because she's so weird. And her you voice can't is, look away. Her voice is so crow-like and her movements yeah. are so bizarre. But you want something like that to suggest magic instead of like some special effect, like sparklers or something. Ooh, sparklers. And it's so different. You did, you mentioned she was in Harry Potter. I don't think you mentioned who she played. Yeah, I did. She, oh, you did. Okay, did. yeah. She was Ara Arabella Fig, yeah. the next-door neighbor who was in, like, two scenes in one movie. Right. But also the only American in Harry Potter that was not uh, dubbed over. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of two, not dubbed over. Who was the other one? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Must not have been very important. No. Um, one question I had, and I know you can't answer this because nobody can. Why was this shot in 4-3? Uh, 
I don't know. So what I'm talking about is the aspect no ratio, idea. which is basically yeah. making it look like it was an old I Love Lucy episode. See our last episode on being the Barcardos. I don't know. Giving it, trying to make it more timeless. I got no idea. It was just odd. Well, it's going to come into one of our big talking point questions, but I, I, I didn't see anything in the uh, trivia about it one way or the other. So that was weird. Um, the other scene. So I said there's two scenes that I thought were really quite shockingly surprisingly effective one of them is is the capture of fleance as i thought it was, originally i wrote death because i was like well ross is gonna kill him i don't know why he's not um, yeah. although it does go against prophecy the other one was the death of mcduff's son Oh my God! Yeah. Like, I, and I <laughs> remember what we were talking about. We don't, I, you know. At one point, we talked about uh, animals in the movies and why I don't like them because uh, I'm worried that something happened to the animal. The actor in question picks this poor kid up over his head and throws him down into the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, that's um, a disturbing scene. Yeah, this did not. I mean, I don't know what they did. I'm sure there was probably a big pillow or something. Oh yeah, but it looked like they picked this kid up by an arm and a leg and threw him down. There wasn't like a dummy or something, and it was like, wow, that's brutal. I mean, yeah. it's Macbeth, so. <laughs> and again, in the script, in the, in the actual play. He's killed on stage. It says, you know, whatever the kid's name, is slain. Yeah. You know, it's not, like, a lot of deaths, especially of children, mm. happen off stage yeah. in uh, in Shakespeare. But, uh, nope. I, well, I mean, we'll get to the in the wrap-up, but in general, I did think overall, perhaps, although the, the play itself is fairly violent, that the approach to this was a little heavy-handed, but it's beautiful. Like... They don't shoot in black and white anymore because everyone expects colors, but the masters, back in the day, the masters of cinematography in the 30s and 40s, man, could they shoot film. Yeah. And I, I'm not good enough. I tell you, we did go to film school, but I'm not good enough in my, my uh, terms and knowledge about cinematography to say that this person could be in those leagues, but it is a pretty film to watch. Whatever you may think of the rest of the production, it's... It's really like a tone of gray and white and black, and that's about it. And it's very deftly used. And I got to say, if Joel Cohen wants to continue to make movies in general, I'll probably go see them. Yeah. I also like the, some of the stuff they do with the sound and parallel sound. The whole thing with the heavy footfalls synchronizing with the blood drops. Yeah. The blood hitting the pool of blood at the same time, a loud footfall. There's a lot of banging in this movie, yes. a lot of knocking without. That's also in part of parts of the actual play. Yeah. I, I watched this movie with headphones, and uh, a spoiler... Yeah, so did I, because you told me to. <laughs> well, the sound was so interesting. Like, what they were doing was so interesting that I'm like, you know... Besides the fact that some people you kind of need it because you can't quite understand what they're saying, heavy accents, um, the sound was was so cool. I, it was for me. I didn't want to be distracted, so I thought I'd I'd tip a a little hint to Max and see if you know he was interested and he wanted to do that. But um, one of the things I also like is when people take something that's specifically meant for stage, and they do things that you can't do on the stage. Like they don't treat this as oh we did a play and now we filmed it. Um, yeah, Chicago. Um, well, that's one of the reasons I liked Moulin Rouge so much is like when Baz, Baz Luhrmann did that film, it's like you can't, the way he's depicting this, you can't do this on stage. There's all sorts of weird camera stuff and visual stuff that's meant for a movie audience, not a play audience. Yeah. And this is exactly the same cinematic. Way. But it's kind of yeah. cool because I could also feel how you would do this as a play. Um, it's literally the director going, I know my audience is seeing something in this way. They're seeing a movie. So they expect more than you would see on a stage because a stage does things differently. And I appreciated that he went really far to make sure we were engaged both by the dialogue, the acting, but also the visuals and the sound. The whole thing was a big package. <laughs> package. <laughs> <laughs> Did By the way, when they talk about how the part of the prophecy when... Uh, the spirits are telling Macbeth that he doesn't have to worry how he, how tough he is and how invincible he is. None of woman born shall harm thee. Did you get any Witch King of Angmar flashes there? Oh, you know, not until you just mentioned it, but it's like, oh, of course it's going to be Eowyn. Yeah, yeah. 
No living man may slay me. Yep. So, of course, it could have oh. been a woman that, that killed Macbeth. It but could have. That wouldn't have occurred well, to anybody. Well, no, in... no, because women are women are born of women. Oh, did, did they say man born of woman, or did no, they say... No, it says none, oh, none. of woman born <gasps> Oh, so it couldn't thee. be a nun. He could be killed by a exactly. monk, but not a nun. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it could be a nun. That was, he was warning him, oh, and a nun born of woman shall harm thee. Yeah. Yeah, and I have to say, while it's a nice touch, it's kind of a cop-out that, oh, yeah, because Macduff was ripped from his mother's womb. Right. He's still born of a woman. His, he was still given birth by a woman. He just didn't pass through the birth canal. That's, Well, yeah. <laughs> it's true from a certain point of view. <laughs> Thank you, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. I get it. It's it, to fine. Me, yeah. I, to me, at that point, the witches are like, oh, crap, we told him too much. Um, um, I'm not born, <laughs> the way you know it, from a woman. Of course, it would have been funny if it ended up being like rabbit test and it was, you know, born from a man or something. But Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we need that interpretation. Uh, do you want to get to our talking points before we... I uh, uh, just got one or two other things. Sure. One of the other visuals I really liked... Mm. Is it's right before Lady Macbeth dies when we see Ross walking up the stairs toward her, and she's standing at the top of the stairs, and there's a chandelier over her that looks like a huge crown, mm. and it's centered right over her head. It's a really nice touch. I still don't quite get the whole thing. The stuff they imply with Ross is that he's way more involved. Ross does not do much in the actual play. The he's more of like an ex. He's sort of an exposition piece, and here he's. He's really quite unpleasant and to the point where they, they sort of act like maybe he's working with the witches or he's a supernatural creature. Or... I didn't get that so much, but I did get the idea that he wasn't exactly entirely on Macbeth's side. He felt me like he was playing both ends to see which one yeah. would come out on top and that's who he'd go with. And again, it's tricky. Well, initially, he's he's the one who goes off to kill Banquo, and he hires the yeah. two guys to kill him, but he's going after Fleance. But then he comes back, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I took care of all that stuff. Oh, yeah, okay, Fleance got away, but who cares? He's a kid. And then later on, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to England with Malcolm, and I'm going to hang out with those guys, okay? See you, bye. Yeah. <laughs> in the play, by the way, he doesn't go after Fleance. The characters that go after uh, Banquo and Fleance are... First murderer, second murderer, and third murderer. Ah. <laughs> Those are the character names. <laughs> Those are my favorite parts. Yep, I, yeah, well, we can get back we get to this in the wrap-up. Yeah. I think it's, so that it covers it. What, uh, so what, let's go to the talking points. Does this movie feel like it was made for streaming, or would it have felt as easily at home in the theater? I could see it in the theater, but I think part of it is, as you say, the 4-3 aspect ratio. That's old-style TV, and I don't know how well... That would look funny even funnier on a movie screen. I don't understand that choice. It's one of the only directorial slash artistic choices I really don't understand. And seeing it on a big screen would just, I think, make it even more obvious that it's square or nearly square. Mm. Um, and I just feel like I was... Yeah. Now, what's in that square is really interesting. Don't get me wrong. I'm just like, well, you have all this room. Why aren't you using it? I don't understand. Maybe it's literally just to focus things down, and it's his whole... Maybe it's to make it look more like a stage. Yeah, no. maybe. I don't know. Um, I don't think a stage is generally 4-3 either, but <laughs> I don't yeah, know. That's hard to say. This is one... I honestly don't think you're going to... Except for size grandeur, if you will, grandeur, uh, I don't think you're going to gain much by seeing it in a theater. And I will say that you are going to get something by, if you have any kind of... Sound system? Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about, dimensional sound system. Oh, We've got yeah. surround sound of any... There's, yeah. there's cool stuff going on. Or headphones that have that, that sound system built in. Um, I think you're actually going to get more by watching it with headphones than you are seeing it in a theater. So I don't know. Okay. And, of course, would seeing this movie on a big screen add anything? I don't think so. We, we just answered that. Yeah, 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 I don't think so either. Yeah. Well, I guess it would be time to decide whether Cohen can do Shakespeare or not. The Roundup. So, Max. Yeah. <laughs> um, had you heard about this production before this uh, series? I knew it existed. That was that was it. Okay. Would you probably have watched know, it? I didn't even know it was in black and white until I started watching it. Would you probably have sought it out or just sort of, eh, it's Macbeth. Not really. Macbeth isn't one of my favorite plays, and I don't really think of Denzel Washington as a Shakespearean actor, although, to his credit, I think he did a decent job. 
no, I probably wouldn't have sought it out. Macbeth is depressing. <laughs> it's not happy. Although maybe if they had included that song. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Although, what did you, speaking of uh, not being happy, they have there is one and only one, as far as I can tell, comic relief moment with the porter played by oddly enough Stephen Root. Okay, another person I hadn't thought. You know, he's a he's a guy from Office Space. He took he took my red stapler. <laughs> Burned a building, they set the building on fire. Took my crown, took my crown. Um, <laughs> he's the porter, yeah. and he's the one talking about being drunk. And it's very kind of odd, because there's nothing funny in the rest of this play. Yeah. And yet, I liked him. I thought he did a nice job. So what do you think overall? Overall, I, I think it looked gorgeous. I, I think some of the choices were really interesting. I think some of the performances were good. None of it blew me away. I have to say, and I have seen Shakespeare productions that just blew me out of my seat. Uh, I think this was good. I don't think it was great. What about you? you? I know this is the in effect your first ever exposure to this play. Yes, um, I actually haven't seen many films of Shakespeare. I've seen two versions of um, Romeo and Juliet: a good one and a bad one. Um, <laughs> I've seen Henry V, which I liked. Um, I've seen Much Ado About Nothing, which I liked, even with. Keanu Reeves and Michael Keaton. Um, Dude. <laughs> as my mother put it, he looks like he has the worst smelling mustache in the world, um, <laughs> which unfortunately he does. I didn't, I, I mean, the play, I knew that Macbeth was killed somebody and Lady Macbeth was crazy. That's basically all I knew. I came away really energized by this. I was really interested. Like, I like this play. Um, and I mean, oh boy, he said he liked Shakespeare. Woo-hoo! Go out in a yeah, little way, don't you? speaks very well for the movie. Yeah. I think the production in general is really cool. Visually, orally, um, I really like what Joel Cohen is doing. I really like... Now, again, you said there's a cu- couple of parts cut out, and the parts you said that were cut out, I don't miss them. And I know editing Shakespeare is usually like, and who are you? But he's got somebody so interesting playing the three weird sisters that I'm glad we don't have more of them because that would have gotten, that would have dulled the impression. I think it was a good choice. Yeah. She was just cutting that part down to me. She's the star of the film. Honestly, (laughs) she's her performance is the most amazing thing to watch in the film. I like Frances McDormand. Do I think she's likely the best lady Macbeth ever? No, but I understood what she was saying and I understood what she was doing. And that was, that meant a lot on a first time Shakespeare. Denzel, I'm sorry, I just don't think he should have been lead. Maybe he could have been in it, but I just he did not carry the weight of Macbeth for me. I didn't feel any of the depth of emotion from that character I felt I should. And again, my first note was he was dull. It's like how can the lead of Macbeth yeah. be dull? But I didn't think I think we disagree on that. I thought he was he was at very least I think he did a decent job. I don't think he was terrific, but I think he was competent. I think we both agree that this is not an Oscar-worthy performance. I don't think so. No. Um, I would still recommend this, if for no other reason is that the film, it doesn't, in a way, it doesn't feel like a Shakespeare play, because a lot of people think Shakespeare, they think boring. Um, they think long. And the problem with Shakespeare is that because of the language, Shakespeare demands attention in a time when that is in short supply. Yeah. And I was interested I wanted to know what was going to happen. I liked what the characters were doing. So as a production, I say yes. As performances of some of the major characters, maybe not. Um, but it, yeah, it was pleasantly surprising. Um, cool. But we have to go over our poll question again, because of yes, course we if do. we don't, you'll all have forgotten, because I know I have. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we would like to ask, has Hollywood finally erased that stigma of TV where movies are always better and TV is always worse? Uh, or does that still hold uh, water? Uh, let us know, and you can do that through our website. You can leave a comment at maxmikemovies.com. You can also leave comments on previous shows, all of which are there. You can give us ideas for new shows or ways to spend our bumpy bucks, because we all need that, don't we, until the Bumpy Hut catalog is a reality. 
And hey, while you're on the internet, why don't you go to your favorite bit of social media, as long as it's Twitter or Facebook, and find us under Max Mike Movies. Why don't you? You could, in fact, email us directly with uh, email that tells us how wonderful... Well, you could critically... Uh, just don't bash us, okay? Uh, it would kill you to use email? <laughs> you can uh, email us currently still just at us at maxmikemovie.com because Max has not installed the pinhead at Max Mike like he promised <laughs> he would. And uh, last but not least, if you have a, a app for listening to podcasts of your choice, likely there we are, but we're not going to mention Spotify. Oh, damn! <laughs> oh, well. But we're still working on now streaming in a room like you. And Max, uh, we're going from Shakespeare to what? Because, I mean, man, you can only well, go up from there, hard. right? <laughs> Oh, I think there's nowhere to go but up. Cool. Yes, we are going th through a classic of uh, of cinema, something that is sure to be one for the ages. Yes, we're going to watch The Deep House. I'm sorry, what? The Deep House. This is a movie that we were actually contacted by. Oh. About, uh, yes, from one of the PR firms who offered us some download codes or, I don't know, some coasters. and That movie. Uh, possibly a refrigerator <laughs> magnet. To uh, promote this movie. And you know what? We're doing it for free because <laughs> I just got to see a haunted house underwater. <laughs> In France? Yeah. <laughs> Is this the yeah. same people who tried to shove Rogue Warfare 3 at us? <laughs> uh, no, I think, well, uh. excuse me, it came from a different address. I don't know if it was, the di was different people. Well, but yes. So next week. Deep House, deep, remember... Deep housing. It's not Roguewear for a three. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.